In the typical hero's journey, the hero encounters mentors and other magical helpers along the way. But what if these helpers do all the work? Can a hero be completely incompetent? I'm Rem Whitcraft, and this is Fiction Briefly. If you haven't read Cupid and Psyche, beware. Spoilers ahead. Written in the 2nd century, Apuleius' myth Cupid and Psyche produces a heroine that doesn't even come close to being independent. Psyche is hated by some and worshipped by others for a beauty she had no part in. She submits to others' whims and advice without challenge, and she has to be prodded along to even remain alive. Kind of like Ophelia from Shakespeare's Hamlet, she's so tragically helpless it borders on funny. So what makes Psyche a hero? Apuleius makes a point to show how weak and vulnerable she is to the point that I wonder if Psyche has some kind of schizoaffective disorder. She threatens or attempts to kill herself in front of Cupid, in front of Pan, at the tower, before collecting the Golden Fleece, then she throws herself at Venus's mercy without a care for her safety. It's as if her mere existence is the only asset she has to gamble with. The one positive attribute Apuleius gives Psyche is that she is sincere. But to follow instructions, Psyche also has to be brave. Despite her fragility, she conquers her fears repeatedly. She has to trust strange creatures, including a talking tower and a husband who won't even let her see his face. She risks death to travel into the underworld and completes task after task for a goddess who may never be satisfied. This means that despite her propensity to give up, she's susceptible to hope always following the advice of her magical helpers with the expectation that she will eventually prevail. It's not the most heroic stance, but it's something. Psyche doesn't share many characteristics with Otto Rank's myth of the birth of the hero. She's the youngest daughter of royalty, but that's about it. Along with our incompetent hero, all the villains in the story are female, and all target Psyche over her appearance. Goddess Venus, renowned for her beauty, suffers indignity as the sacrifices and offerings due to her are dedicated to Psyche instead. Venus says, I shall take measures that she may soon be sorry for her charlatan charms. Psyche's own sisters, though beautiful, Apuleius writes that it didn't strike you dumb with despair to have a look at them. They can't stand that Psyche, who they think died from Venus's punishment, is actually married to some attractive rich guy while they're playing nursemaid to decrepit old men. Petty jealousy seems like a weak motive to hinge a story upon, but let's go with it. Analyzing the story through Vladimir Propp's formula from Morphology of the Folktale brings us to stage one, absentation, where a member of the family leaves home. Venus demands Psyche's sacrifice. The goddess tasks her son Cupid with making Psyche fall in love and marry the worst kind of wretch Cupid can find. 
Psyche dutifully submits herself to her punishment on the side of a cliff where she is carried off to her new husband's palatial cave. Where the story gets its tension is the interdiction stage where the hero is told to avoid a person or a place. Psyche doesn't get a look at the mystery man she must submit to. Even though they share a bed, he keeps his identity a secret, only appearing to her in the dark. In the interdiction, he tells her to stay away from her sisters, who mourn her loss at the side of the cliff. The story really gets going with the violation, where the hero ignores the warning. This leaves room for the villain to act against the hero's family. Psyche, hearing her sister's cries from the cliff above, threatens suicide if she can't see them. In stage four, Reconnaissance, the villain makes an effort to attain knowledge needed to fulfill their plot. In this portion, Psyche's sisters play the role of villain. The author refers to them as wicked because of their jealousy. They ask Psyche a bunch of questions about her new husband, but how could they know that Psyche cannot reveal this information? In stage five, the delivery, the villain succeeds in part of their plan. Psyche, who is visibly pregnant during their second visit, trips up giving contradictory statements about her husband until she must admit she has never seen his face. This leads to stage six, trickery, where the villain tries to trick the victim either to capture the victim or steal something valuable. The true wickedness of the sisters comes from their fabrication of the danger Psyche is in if she stays in her husband's company. They tell Psyche that once she gives birth, her husband will eat her. In stage seven, complicity, the victim is either fooled or forced into cooperation. How do the sisters know this information? Psyche is too trusting to question them. However flimsy the premise, Psyche won't be hero material without demonizing the sisters. She must be misled into disobeying her husband to maintain her perceived innocence. Stage eight, villainy, represents the villain's harm to the hero. This action further sets the story in motion. The sisters convince Psyche to hide a sharp razor and a lit oil lamp in her darkened bedroom and wait until her so-called husband falls asleep. The sisters gain nothing with this deception, except the knowledge that they have ruined Psyche's good fortune. The hero learns what she's up against in stage nine, mediation. That night, she discovers her husband is Cupid, the sexy young god of love. Somehow he gets gravely injured by the oil lamp, discovers her disobedience, and abandons her. Now we get to stage 10, beginning counteraction, where the hero hatches a plan. The god Pan sees Psyche at the river and talks her out of suicide. She takes his advice and goes on a search for Cupid. Meanwhile, Venus learns of her son's unborn child with her sworn enemy and calls for Psyche's capture. In the departure stage, the hero leaves the home environment, this time with a sense of purpose. Psyche strives to be, in her mind, manly, and turns herself in to Venus. Venus calls her unborn child a bastard, rips out Psyche's hair, and beats her. The goddess then prescribes the first seemingly impossible task designed to demoralize Psyche, 
sorting a pile of seeds in the guise of winning Venus's approval. Venus leaves Psyche to wallow in her punishment. Stage 12, the first function of the donor, is where with the help of a magical agent or helper, the hero gets tested. Psyche has been helped by the gods Cupid and Pan already, but with the aid of an army of ants, the seeds are separated into piles without a problem. Venus reacts by giving Psyche a second, more dangerous task. In stage 13, the hero's reaction, the hero's skills are tested or she frees a captive. She reacts to the actions of the donor. Instead of attempting to collect the wool of some venomous golden sheep, Psyche again resorts to suicide. But in stage 14, provision of a magical agent, the universe intervenes. If not for the help of a magical talking reed, she would not have known to wait until the sheep are asleep and collect the wool from the branches they brush past while grazing. In Venus's subsequent task, a magical talking eagle, whose owner owes Cupid a favor, fetches water from a dangerous source. Again, this would be impossible for any human, but the eagle is Jupiter's, ruler of the gods. Despite Psyche's successes, Venus is still not satisfied. In the fourth task, we reach stage 15, Guidance, where the hero is led to an important object. This last task sends Psyche to the land of the dead to retrieve a box she's not allowed to look in. How do you reach the land of the dead? You die, or so she thinks. She climbs a tower to throw herself off, but the talking tower tells her she will be sent straight to what equates to hell, unable to return to the land of the living. Instead, the tower guides her to a hole where she can reach the underworld alive and instructs her on how to gain passage across the river and how to evade Cerberus, the three-headed guard dog. But in stage 16, the struggle, the hero and villain fight. This fight between Venus and Psyche is really a mental game. Though successful in her collection of the box, Venus bets that Psyche won't be able to resist its contents, and she's right. Psyche hasn't learned from any of her mistakes. She opens the box and falls into a deadly sleep. Things look bleak, but built into the hero's journey is stage 22, Rescue, where someone rescues the hero. Cupid revives Psyche and returns the deadly contents to the box. Psyche, the winner of this battle despite her incompetence, can now transport it to Venus. You'd think the story would be over, but there is a moral twist. Psyche is not really married to Cupid and is carrying a child out of wedlock. This brings us to the difficult task, where the hero must solve a difficult problem. Jupiter, ruler of the gods and father to Venus, must be convinced of their relationship's legitimacy. And now for the solution, where the hero is triumphant. In exchange for a desirable young woman, the famously philandering Jupiter takes the side of his grandson over his daughter and ensures Cupid's fidelity. Psyche gets her man and lives happily ever after, again through no mental effort of her own. Innocence and sincerity 
are rewarded in the end. Psyche remains one of those rare female action takers in Greek and Roman myth. While the hunter Atalanta is somewhat of an androgynous figure, Psyche represents the other end of the feminine spectrum. While Psyche's so-called virtues spell victimhood rather than heroism, she serves as the pinnacle of innocence and a warning against disobedience. But if the hero's journey is a guide to the ideal personal development, the story is lacking. How did Psyche grow from this experience? The villains are similarly flat and frankly mislabeled. Psyche's sisters aren't so wicked as to let their sister shack up with some stranger in a cave. They mourn Psyche's disappearance and ask reasonable questions about her well-being, yet Psyche's trust in them is the vehicle for her downfall. To make things right, she has to trust various gods and magical beings. Left to her own devices, she would just give up. So trusting and dependent, she is not a hero most people would aspire to. Though we may want to be born so beautiful that we make the goddess of love jealous, none of us wants to be stuck talking to a piece of grass. Join me on my next podcast where I'll further analyze what it means to be the hero. You can comment on this episode or suggest new content on my Facebook page, Fiction Briefly. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe on whichever platform you listen on. Once again, I thank Kestrel and Mexican Spy Company for all music and sound production for this show. This has been Fiction Briefly, giving you a glimpse into the mind of an artist. Thank you for listening.